April and Scott, creators of NaughtyGym.com, and this is The Naughty Gym Show. For years, we've been fitness and nutrition coaches to thousands of people through our commercial gyms and online platform. We've also spent nearly a decade in an ever-evolving open relationship. This show brings together two of our biggest passions, fitness and sex positivity. Our mission is to maximize the physical and mental health of anyone brave enough to explore relationship structures that run counter to societal norms. We have demolished our old ways of thinking about relationships and from that rubble built a life full of happiness, adventure, and vitality. And now we want to help you do the same. So hop on the treadmill, start the show, and let us teach you how to never stop playing. April and Scott here with Naughty Jim, and this is our first official podcast episode. So we've been doing a vlog for a while on YouTube, but we wanted to find a way to be able to get more information into more people's ear holes. Yeah, and we're tired of getting banned on in in warnings on social media. So not a podcast. We like putting we like putting things in people's homes in their ear holes. So, so are you, this are, we've been doing it on camera, but for some reason I'm a little more nervous about this because it feels more like official with the podcast. Are you nervous about this? I'm not nervous. Okay. Well, awesome. I, but I it's, also it's will never me. listen to this again. <laughs> <laughs> and I'll have to, because I've got to edit it. So, uh, okay. Yeah. So we're going to start today. Our first episode is going to be me interviewing April. Uh, so we're that not we, necessarily interviewing. We're just going to have a conversation. Well, we're going to have a conversation. That's so but, formal. Yeah. Well, maybe an informal interview. But <laughs> where I'm going to ask you a series of questions that I've prepared ahead of time because we want to try and dig into your story. And actually, some of these, I'm not sure I'll know everything you're going to say or how you're going to answer all of these questions. Right. So it'll be an interesting way to kind of explore how you went from a little girl to the person you are now. All right. Uh, and, and we'll we'll backtrack on some of these questions, but the first question I want to ask is, how did you get? What first got you interested in consensual non-monogamy? Because obviously you didn't uh, start with an interest in it. Yeah. How did you? Okay, get Barbara Walters. So <laughs> it started um, just when I met you, exploring, having conversations, open conversations. Um, for the first time in my life, I was able to talk openly about my sexual desires, my fantasies. Um, and really I was at a place in my life where I was, I had already made up my mind that I was going to be hundred percent honest with my partner and be selfish in the fact that I wasn't going to be in a relationship where I couldn't 100% be myself. Um, and you gave me space to do that. And so you had brought up some scenarios and some places that you had gone. Um, and I was like, yeah, let's do it. And that just kind of got the ball rolling. And, but it never seemed like something, <clears throat> I think for a lot of people, when they first start talking about consensual non-monogamy, it is a very nerve wracking. Oh my goodness. I can't believe you just asked me that. I don't want to touch this subject. Are you wanting to have sex with other people? Am I not enough for you? All these things. Mm-hmm. It never really, at least from my perspective, seemed like it was that way for you. You you had a genuine sort of a innocent curiosity about it all from the beginning. Yeah, I think it's I have more of those conversations internally. And then once I come <laughs> to a conclusion, that's what you hear a lot of the time. So a lot of times I'm doing the work 
internally. Um, and then it comes out polished in the finished product. Okay, so early on in our relationship, you were already internally thinking about having sex with other people. So oh, absolutely. I've been <laughs> okay, thinking about great. that my whole life. Yeah, that's fantastic. <laughs> well, <clears throat> so there was a lot of, I had a lot of shame around sexuality from, you know, coming out of the church, coming out of a marriage where it just wasn't really talked about and really being raised in an environment where sexuality was shameful. And um, so, you know, I was approaching the age of 40. I had come out of a failed marriage for 18 years. And what for those 18 years, I was having those dialogues and like the what if I could do this and this is what I desire. And I just wasn't talking to anybody about it. Um, so it wasn't new for me. All right. Well. So go to your, you meant you brought up your childhood there. You weren't raised, even, even though you weren't brought up in the South where we live now, you were, you were raised in Chicago, mm -hmm. but you still weren't around things like this. You didn't have a family, uh, parents that were involved in any mm -hmm. of this, or you didn't know people, I'm assuming. Yeah, no. So there was no exposure to it as a child. Right, right. right. And because sometimes people may ask that, well, you know, you must've been raised around liberal parents or something. That's how you felt free enough to get involved with it. So it was nothing like that. Was there anything that you would describe as trauma in your background that, because that's another common thing people think, well, maybe there's just trauma in sexual trauma as a child or as an adult yeah. or otherwise that, you know, made them want to do freaky stuff. Yeah. Um, I, I don't, of course there was trauma. <laughs> I, I've yet to talk to anyone um, especially women who don't have some form of trauma in their past. Now, what that looks like for everyone is obviously different. Sometimes it's sexual trauma. Sometimes it's physical. Sometimes it's verbal. Sometimes, I mean, there's so many different things that can be trauma. Um, so yes, there was a lot of trauma in my past. There was sexual abuse. There was um, emotional abuse. There was verbal abuse. Um, in past relationships, there was some physical abuse. So, um, yes, there was trauma in my past. Now, does that did, was that a catalyst for me to want to sexually explore more? I don't know. Uh, I think if it is, then maybe that was one of the positive things that came out of that trauma. Well, yeah, because most of the time, at least in my experience growing up and having lots of adult friends with different types of background, women and men, but you, you hear this more with women that have sexual trauma of some kind in their past, don't have a really great sexual outlook, sex life, or a well-adjusted view on sexuality in general. Yet, I've never seen you have issues with it in any way. I mean, you've had this sort of genuine curiosity and it's never seemed to be a struggle for you. How do you attribute the well-adjusted <laughs> sexual adult that I know to somebody who does have that sexual trauma? Why did it not seem to affect you more than what it tends that to? That is a hard question to answer. I think um, growing up the way I grew up, um, I always had a mindset that I was going to overcome this no matter what it was. I wasn't going to get stuck here. I wasn't going to get stuck in this town. I was going to get stuck in this life. I would never raise my family like this. I would never be this type of mother. I would never be this type of partner. And so I think that 
mindset. Um, I would seek out, I would read books, I would journal. I, when I was old enough to pay for my own, I was in therapy. I, I was, I feel like I was doing the work, even though I didn't know I was doing the work to overcome that. All of those things that I did helped me heal. And I've never been bitter about the trauma. I've never been um, resentful. Um, I am somebody that forgives pretty easily. I don't hold grudges. Um, I recognized at an early age that holding on to that kind of stuff was not good. Yeah. And so I really don't have a clear answer for that. Well, it's an impressive part of your personality. And because and I didn't know all of that at first, it took mm-hmm. a while for you to open up about that. And I was shocked because I assumed that you, since you had such a healthy outlook on sexuality, how all our communication about the topic of sex and our relationship has always been easy. Yeah. Um, that- I guess I don't open up a lot about it because I don't want to be um, identified by that trauma. It does. It's, it is part of why I am the way I am, but it's not who I am. And so I don't want sympathy for it. <laughs> like that makes me uncomfortable. Yeah. Um, and maybe that's a part of the trauma that it makes me uncomfortable. Um but it doesn't define who I am. You get through your childhood with no examples of this, type, no, no sexual education of any kind, really. No. Yeah, no. In fact, <clears throat> the opposite. Like, you know, though, I was sexual from a very early age. And maybe that is part of the sexual trauma that I experienced as um, a young girl. But I can't ever remember a, a time in my life, as far as age-wise, that I didn't masturbate. <laughs> That was part of my self-soothing, maybe, you know, if I was stressed or anxious and couldn't sleep, it's still part of of my self-soothing. And, but there was a lot of shame around that, obviously, growing up, you know, I would pray like, please, this will be the last time that I ever do this. um, Because I felt like there was something wrong doing with me because I wanted to masturbate. But um, I've been doing that as long as I can remember. Right. So when you said earlier that you were sexual from an early age, you just meant with yourself. Right. Right. My mother found uh, religion when I was in middle school. And she went from very liberal parenting and not really around. I have very few memories of my mother before fourth grade. Um, And, you know, I had no father growing up. And so it was just my brothers and I. Um, and when she found religion, she went from one extreme to the other. Yeah. One extreme where, you know, at 10, 11 years old, I was really taking care of myself. I could do, I didn't really have a bedtime. It was just kind of a free for all. <laughs> so she found religion. And then I couldn't wear the color red because that was the color horse wore. I couldn't wear makeup. I couldn't shave my legs. I couldn't go on dates. I couldn't date until I was 16. And then it had to be a double date. And my curfew was 8.30 until that I graduated. So if we, we should still have a curfew of 8.30. Yeah, I would, now I would yeah. love to go to yeah, bed at 8.30. So it was really your kind of your early 20s is where you started exploring sexuality with other people. It's a very short window because I was married by 22. Yeah, but from the stories I've heard, it was a very packed short window. Yeah. I did a lot of fun fun things. (laughs) Yeah. So I actually, I had fallen in love with this guy at the age of 16 and we dated for four years. 
Um, and, you know, we were saving ourselves for marriage and, um, he was, I was, I was literally, that was a very, um, bad relationship. I was obsessed with him. I, I did everything he told me to do. I dressed the way he wanted me to, I wore, you know, ate the way he wanted me to. Um, and at 19, I gave him my virginity and, um, then found out that he had, Wait a minute, you went three years. Yeah. So y'all just did a bunch of oral stuff. I yeah, guess. yeah. Okay. Um, and then I found out that he was not saving himself for me. <laughs> <laughs> so um, that was really why I left Chicago was to get away from him because I knew if I stayed there, I would stay with him. I would go back to him. Um, and that I really grieved the loss of that relationship for years. I would say probably close to ten years. Wow. So you went, so you, you moved, you left Chicago to get away from him. You came to Alabama. Mm -hmm. um, you spent maybe a couple of years where you were. So in some wild. So in some wild. So you did the club <laughs> scene and a lot yeah, of that stuff. Yeah. Right. And yeah. that was where you really started exploring. Sexually. At least a large part of your yeah. sexuality. Right. Yeah. Um, yeah. I was very sexually free. <laughs> you could say. Um had a lot of fun, a lot of things I don't remember. I don't, um, it probably wasn't the best way to sew. Well, it was right. a little yeah. reckless, uh, <laughs> a lot of partners. Um, and then I all strictly men, men. Right? Yeah. Mm -hmm. and, but then you end up settling down, you meet somebody, you get married and it was a long-term marriage. Yeah. So I met a guy that felt safe, yeah. you know, coming out of the home that I was raised in, all I ever really wanted was um, my own kids and a family and a house. You know, we lived in Section 8 housing. It wasn't the worst, but it wasn't the greatest. You know, um, I just I wanted to have a career and I wanted to do all those things that I, you know, dreamed about as a young girl. And so I met a guy who was nice enough. He felt safe. He had a stable job. I knew that I wasn't what he wanted. He wanted somebody that was not really driven, that was just going to be at home, raise oh, the kids. A homemaker. Yeah. And that's, there's nothing wrong with that. That just wasn't me. And I tried to be that for, for so long. So much so that you went, as I understand the story, you went from this person sowing their wild oats and going to clubs and stuff yeah. to similar and I've never said this before, but yeah. similar to what happened with your mom yeah. and that you went from this wild child, found religion all mm -hmm. of a sudden, and then did a complete 180. In that marriage, I had, we had three children together. After the birth of my second child, um, that was, uh, you know, he was an identical twin. We lost his brother, um, which was traumatic for me. And I had no family down here and I was married to somebody who wasn't open to having conversations. Um, so I was grieving in silence, grieving alone. And that was probably one of the lowest points of my life. Um, I've never been suicidal, especially now that I have children. Um, but I was having bad thoughts and I wasn't going to church. I didn't really know anything about it, but I was going to the gym. I was still working out. That was kind of my sanity. And somebody invited me to church at the gym. And I thought, well, you know what? <laughs> what I'm doing right now isn't working. Maybe God can fix this. <laughs> um, and so I went and all the promises 
church made me, God will fix your marriage. He will change that man and he'll love you. And, um, and so I was like, well, let's try this. And, and 16 years later yeah, or so. Well, no, that was, so I was in the church for two years, worked full time for the church for 10. So about 12 years yeah. of hoping and praying mm-hmm. that religion yeah, and God, then I was sold things. out. I d- I don't do anything half-assed. I'm yeah. sure you've noticed yeah, that. Your whole ass off everything. <laughs> yes. If I'm going to do something, I'm going to do it. Like I'm going to dive headfirst in. I'm in it. Which I'm sure they recognize the church. That's why they offered you a job. And right. You became a like a women's and children's pastor right. uh, type role at the church. There. And it was full-time for 10 years. Yeah. Okay. So. To kind of summarize, and we've, we're summarizing a lot of life here mm-hmm. in a very short period of time to make it podcast length worthy, I guess. But you were raised uh, in a sort of a on your own by a progressive mother and mm-hmm. kind of a, almost like a latchkey kid or something for yeah. a while. And then, and then your mother got tightened things up to where you couldn't watch the Smurfs anymore because they had magic. Right. Uh, she got very religious. And eventually you met this, you met this guy in high school and, and then, and then that went poorly and you kind of to escape all that left to go to Alabama. Right. And part of that, uh, and I think, I don't think we talked about this was to try to find your dad, right. Or mm-hmm. to connect with your dad. Yeah. Let's, let's talk about that for just a second. Why were you trying to do that? Why was he not in the picture to begin with? And how did that go? Yeah. So he actually left when I was one and I never saw him again, never heard from him again. Uh, My mother um, had been married four times um, and none of the other men, well, one stuck around, my my brother's father, Um, but none of us had dads around in our lives. When I was 18, um, my dad reached out to me and I knew that he lived down South. And so when my relationship went sour um, and I needed to get out of town, I was like, well, I don't have anywhere to go. I'll go meet my dad. (laughs) (laughs) See, Things are better there. Right. Let's see what happens. Um, And so I literally packed everything I owned in my little Mazda 323 hatchback and drove from Chicago down. At that time, he was in Mississippi. So you didn't come straight to Alabama. You went to Mississippi first. Right, right. Okay. And then that went, well, not so No, great. that didn't go so great, as you can imagine. <laughs> you know, I made some friends and stuff. I decided I was going to stay in the area because I really did like the South. I was, well, actually, it was going to be for a summer. I was going to give it a summer. Um, and then go back home at the end of summer. And then I ended up um, being introduced to the person that would become my husband um, and ended up staying and got a good job. And and he was from Alabama. And that's mm-hmm. how the transition from Mississippi, Mississippi to Alabama, to Alabama right. happened. Okay. Yeah. And so we, we kind of go through a, a fairly wild phase there of partying and clubs and, and stuff. But then you get married. Yeah. And uh, you try to settle down and become Susie Homemaker. <laughs> you find religion, get a job at the church, and you go for, what, a 12, 14-year period or so there. Did you recognize then that you were unhappy? And if so, what – I, I know you, you found religion in an effort to try to fix your marriage, but what, what do you feel like was the big thing that was missing from your life? Why were you unhappy? 
um, it was communication. There was zero communication. There was uh, no sharing, right? Sharing, uh, you know, what your hopes and dreams were or how you're feeling or uh, what is your, I mean, there was just zero dialogue um, besides anything that was kind of superficial like day-to-day kind of things. And it, I was very lonely. You, you kind of had sort of separate lives. Right. You did some things together. It's not like you were right. completely miserable all the time. Right, right. And he was of, a good dad. and yeah. yeah, and he provided for the family. Right. But you guys didn't have that high adventure sort no. of lifestyle. Yeah. You kinda, well, and for years, people didn't know I had a husband. Because you know? <laughs> I, I did so much on my own with the kids, you know, that, you know, he would work all the time or be gone, you know, doing his thing. And, um, yeah. So a lot of people didn't, they had never met him and people who had been friends with for four or five years had never saw him. And so you tried to feel some of that feeling of loneliness with work. Right. At the church, taking care of the family, work, Work, fitness, just, yeah. Finding something to keep me always doing something. Did you enjoy that time at the church? There were times that I enjoyed it, but it still felt, it made me feel like I was a hamster on a wheel. Like, you know, I can almost get to that carrot that is dangling in front of me, but I can't quite get it, which left me feeling like- What was the carrot? What were you trying to get to? God healing my marriage, Uh right? Or making him love me or talk to me or tell me I'm beautiful, whatever it was. But, um, Which has always been- crazy to me that you said he never really told you that you were beautiful. Yeah. He and said me, one time he didn't want most, me to get a big head. Yeah. You're one of the most beautiful <laughs> women I've ever seen way out of my league. Uh, I appreciate that. Yeah. I'm super nice. <laughs> um, but it left me feeling um, really unfulfilled and like there was something wrong with me. Why can't I do this right? So it was probably three to four years towards the end of uh, my time working there that I started to, which I didn't know there was a word for it, but deconstruct Yeah, right. at that time. I didn't know what that meant, but, um, I started reading books that weren't in my church's library and I got chastised for that. Actually, one time I had a book on my desk by a Christian author, but it wasn't one of the Christian authors we had in our bookstore. And so I got chastised for that because I couldn't possibly know how to discern what was actual truth from uh, was that because you're a woman? Probably. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> um, all right. So it started to kind of lose its luster, the the call of religion. Mm-hmm. At that time also was the same time you and I met right. for the first time. Yeah. Right. Yeah. I, I had opened a gym in town and um, you came to visit right before we had gotten open. Yeah. You visited where we were sort of practicing, if you want to call it that. And uh, I was uh, sort of starstruck, (laughs) bigger than life, beautiful person. You seem to have it all together. You're in this great marriage. Uh, I didn't know that there was stuff sort of bubbling under the surface. Well, you had a CrossFit gym and I love competition. And so CrossFit was just like, of course, I'm going to do this. This is, you know, I could see a change in my body composition. I felt good. It was fun. There's a community of people that... I could hang out with. I met a bunch of friends. Um, And really, because I had been doing fitness my whole life and I had done personal training early on, you know, early before, and I had taught Pilates and yoga and stuff like that. So like, this just seems like something I want to do. And so I started, I think, coaching for you about a year after I started 
Probably. doing CrossFit. You were very good at it right away. Yeah. Um, and very, you know, you just great with people. Yeah. And so me asking you to coach was a no brainer. And I would volunteer for everything Yes. just because I had, I could bring the kids a lot of the times with me. Um, I had a lot of free time because my ex-husband was gone hunting all the time or working all the time. Um, so I had the time to do it and I love doing it. So I'm like, yeah, of course I'll do this. And, and I was, was warned by my boss at the church though, that that was a road, that a slippery slope. What? Fitness? Well, being at the CrossFit gym all the time. Why? Because they were because other people. It, it could be pulling me away from the church. Well, to his credit, he made me right. right. <laughs> uh, yeah, uh, because that process uh, over the time that you were becoming this CrossFit athlete, CrossFit coach, you were also going through that process of deconstructing uh, right. from the church, yeah, or at was. least questioning. And you may not even been consciously aware of it that whole time, but yeah, that was all happening around the same time. Do you think it had anything to do with your eventual interest in non-monogamy? No, I think it had to do with me looking for happiness, looking for a place that I felt I could be myself, authenticity, um, I, I just was looking for something. I didn't know what it was, but I was looking for something. Um, and I knew I wasn't happy where I was. And you and I, uh, had fun working together. <laughs> we right? did. Yeah. Yeah. Plutonically for four, four years, years or so. hundred percent plutonic. No. Never crossed the line. Never flirted. Never. Maybe we flirted, but I, I didn't think it was flirting at the time, but it probably was. It probably was. And I can tell you, I was <laughs> thinking it. Uh, but, you know, I was also very religious. Right. You were very religious. We're yeah. both in marriages. You, you know, you just, that's not things, that's not a possibility. Right. And, uh, but eventually I think the toll of your marriage not fulfilling you mm -hmm. and, and mine not either. We'll talk about that on another day. But uh, eventually we went from coach and boss relationship and friend relationship. Mm -hmm. uh, and we took it a step further. Right. And yeah. it's not a, it's not an aspect of the story that we're proud of. No, absolutely not. So I had actually asked my husband for a divorce in maybe October of 2015. Um, and then it was a couple months later that you and I started seeing each other. Yeah. yeah. That's not an excuse. I sh we handled it. We went about it the wrong way. Had I to do it over again, I would have handled it a lot differently. Um, but I do not regret being with you. Me either. But I know that what we did and the way we went about it caused a lot of pain in right. people's lives. Absolutely. And it became uh, somewhat of a mini scandal in our community. You, A lot of people knew you because you were at the church. A lot right. of people knew me and you because of the gym. Right. And uh, our lives sort of fell apart. Yeah. There. Yeah. For a little bit, talk about from your perspective how what happened there and how it impacted you. Yeah, that was tough because at the time I was the whole time I was married, I was really good at putting on a smile. In fact, my mother um, said she had some ideas that things weren't great, but she never knew because I never told her. I never told anybody because I wanted them to love him, and you know, I hid a lot from my kids, because that's what you do as a mother. You protect your children from, from things. Um, my friends, you know, nobody really knew what was going on and nobody ever does know what's going on inside of marriage. So I want to say that before you judge somebody, you don't know what is happening behind closed doors. And even if you are being told 
right. what's happening. You still don't still really, don't have, really have a full yeah. picture. I was unhappy for years. And uh, I think it would be safe to say my ex-husband was unhappy for years as well. So when we were out and when the affair became public, um, you know, we essentially both lost everything, you know, our jobs, um, our homes. Um, yeah, because in a small town. An affair can have implications outside of your family. Right. Yeah. Yeah. And so I was immediately labeled the whore, the town whore. Also probably accurate. <laughs> well, they didn't know the extent. <laughs> well, you didn't uh, at that time. Yeah. And either. so, uh, you know, I still had three kids in school and I would have to go to their games and walk in and not a soul would speak to me. Um, and I would sit, have to sit by myself and know that people were saying things to my kids. And we had a woman in town who was a pastor's wife um, message one of my kids to tell him what a whore his mother was um, on Instagram. So uh, things like that were happening. You weren't wearing a literal scarlet A? I actually contemplated it because what ended up happening was through that, you know, nobody at the church spoke to me anymore. Um I was chastised, you know, kicked out of the church without even realizing. I didn't you, know you it. You were never called in to I was, tell them. They just announced that you would never be back. Well, right? they. I went in and they told me, obviously, I could no longer work there. Oh. But I still intended on going to church there, mostly because I wanted to keep my kids on some sort of normalcy. Like, that's what they knew. Yeah, because even though you were transitioning ultimately away from religion. You didn't really know that that how point, to handle right? that. I didn't know at that point, but I didn't know how to handle it with my children. Yeah. And so I was going to still keep them with their friends. There was an announcement made though, that I would no longer be back at church. Um, so that was a pretty shitty thing, but that really solidified in my mind, my exodus of religion, probably the second lowest point in my life. But it really taught me compassion and empathy for other people and really helped me learn to love people in a much deeper way yeah. um, because I would never want anyone. I would never treat somebody like that. I would never judge anybody. And when I see people going through similar things or divorce, I have so much compassion and empathy for them because no matter what the story is, we don't know what the story is. Right. Um, and we don't know how they feel when they're alone by themselves. So that gave me a lot of compassion. But for somebody people. having an affair is an easy target for public scorn. Right. And you got your fair share of it. Right. In the process. Yeah. Yeah. Um, <clears throat> well, so now you're jobless because you lose your job at the church and you lost your job at my gym right. because I lost my gym <laughs> right. yeah. uh, over all of this. Yeah. All of a sudden you lost your job at the church. You lost your job at the gym. You no longer, you now your family is falling apart because yeah. of the affair. And the process begins at this point for you of going, well, what's next? Yeah. How did that feel having to essentially start over with nothing? So <clears throat> I knew I was good at coaching. I knew I was good at, you know, nutrition coaching and fitness coaching. And so I s went to another town because obviously I couldn't work in our town. Yeah. Cause you were poor. Right. Yeah. I had actually gotten kicked out of another gym that I just went to, to work out at in our hometown, in our hometown. And they kicked me out because of the affair. Yeah. So I couldn't, they wouldn't even let me be a member there. 
Um, and so on your first date, yeah, they, they saw you coming. <laughs> Crazy stuff. So we went to another town, found a gym, and we talked to I talked to the owner, and I just told her, "Look, this is what happened. I need a job." And she was gracious enough to give me a job. While working there, she got calls that she was going against God by letting me work for her. She did let you work there yeah. and it sort of acted as a bridge to what we're about to get to. But you so you go through this period of a year or two where you're sort of just kind of working as getting little part-time type money mm -hmm. just to make ends meet. And that's when the deconstruction from religion really kicked in yeah. for you because you had to figure out who you were and what you wanted the rest of your life to look like. Right. And you and I were now trying to build a relationship through the ashes of right. this exposed affair we had. Do you remember a time where you decided I am done with religion or did you ever decide that? I would say it was a pretty quick transition. Once I decided how I was going to approach it with my children and um, which I allow them to believe what they want to believe. There's no judgment. I allow them to ask questions. I will support whatever they believe. Um, and once I had those conversations with them and made sure that they were safe and felt loved and cared for and weren't scared by me not believing, um, it was almost like a switch went off. And I was like, okay, I, I'm walking away from this and I feel peace about it. Um, and I really have been in that place since. Also, during that time, you and I were continuing to explore consensual non-monogamy. Right. We didn't get to do it a lot because we didn't have any money. But, yeah. but you know, we, we, <laughs> would, time. we would here and there, we would go to events. Was there ever conflict as that process was happening? You're slowly deconverting from religion. We're trying to rebuild our lives. You're starting to explore consensual non-monogamy. Was there ever moral conflict? They're like, oh, these are not things I should be doing. Uh, the Bible says so. Religion says so. Church no, says there was so. never um, that kind of stuff. There was, and maybe, well, maybe there was. There was a, a little bit of sexual shame, like, um, is this okay? But I don't know that it was a religious thing. It was just maybe some things that had brought up from past trauma. That like, ooh, is this okay for me to do to my body? But that passed quickly. That I didn't, I didn't sit with that for a long time. Yeah. It was kind of like, well, you know what? I'm doing it. I like it. I enjoy it. It <laughs> feels good. This is my body. <laughs> um, I think really what came out of me being exiled from the church, me um, getting a divorce and having a nasty divorce. Um, was this indignation that, you know what, this is my life and I'm going to write my own story. And I don't give a shit what anybody else has to say about it. I know who I am. Um, I love my children. I'm a wonderful mother. <laughs> I've never questioned that. This is my life. And whatever anybody else thinks about it, they can go fuck themselves. <laughs> Amen. 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 Sister. I remember us sitting out at uh, at my dad's lake house at the time, and you know, we're, we're both like going through this somewhat state of depression. Like, where yeah. do we go from here? We've lost everything, right? And uh, and I do remember that conversation. We like, well, I don't know where we go from here, but I know one thing: 
we're going to do it our way. Yeah. And we have one of the, the silver lining to the cloud of us being exposed as terrible people yeah. was that it really freed us to no longer care so much about what other people thought. Right. And we started the process from that lake house rebuilding our life. Right. Yeah. And we weren't victims in that story. No, and no, we I, brought that on ourselves. Never tried to paint ourselves as victims or had a victim mentality. We made apologies to everyone that would listen to us. Some people wouldn't, and that's okay. Um, but I think what a lot of people wanted us to do was apologize and then do what they wanted us to do. Say they wanted us to say, I'm sorry that we had an affair. I'm going to go back to my husband. I'm sorry I had an affair. I'm going to go back to church. I'm sorry I had an affair. I'm never going to have sex with anyone else again. I'm going to get in my life. Right. Right. But that's not what we said. We said, we are sorry, truly and deeply for the pain that we caused others. We should not have done that. But moving forward, this is our life and we're going to live it. And people don't like that. <laughs> Especially, it seemed like in more conservative areas of the country, they don't like independent, free thought people living the life the way they want people to abide by society's norms. Yeah, this is our box. You need to get in it and stay in it. Yeah, and we both decided that wasn't going to happen, and we stuck to that. So, I don't know if you've ever seen me color, but I can't stay inside the lines. <laughs> I don't doubt it. I imagine you can't even come close. <laughs> We would like to invite you to a first-of-its-kind event unlike anything ever done at Hedonism Resort in the Grill, Jamaica. It's called Be Better at Being Bad Week. This is the fittest party in the lifestyle. Now, this doesn't mean you have to be a hard body to attend. This party is for anyone and everyone who wants to improve their relationship and communication dynamics, increase their sexual health, learn better wellness practices, and explore and expand their mind, body, and sexuality. Experts from around the world will descend on Hedo to help you be better at being bad. Daily keynote talks, interactive technique sessions at the nude and prude pools, exciting competitions and workouts, integration workshops on cannabis and psychedelics, intimate couples yoga, speed dating, and workshops in the Kama Sutra Palace. All the nightly themed parties and entertainment that you've come to expect from Hedo and the grand finale the red ball. This event is perfect for people exploring the idea of opening their relationship. Special sessions led by the Naughty Gym, Naughty Gym team of experts will guide you through various Q&A and orientation sessions to help you get to know your fellow attendees. Veterans of the lifestyle can expect all the same high-energy sexy parties and electrifying entertainment that made Hedo famous with a little extra flair from the Be Better at Being Bad team. Everyone will leave with a wealth of new tools and experiences curated by our all-star team of professionals designed to improve your journey through consensual non-monogamy. So what are you waiting for? Join us January 6th through the 13th of 2024 at Hedonism Resorts for Be Better at Being Bad Week and get ready for the fittest party in the lifestyle. Uh, eventually, we get exposed to about uh, people know we've been exploring the lifestyle. Right. Um, so that's all part of the scandal that we're having an affair. We're dabbling in being these crazy swingers. Uh, and that was an embarrassing part of the story, at least early on for us. Yeah. Right. And, and we tried to put a blanket over that and cover it up as much as possible. Did you feel like you should hide that part of yourself? I didn't want to hide that part of myself. I think I felt like I should, 
just because uh, it wasn't anybody's business and I knew it scared people. It just more or less didn't want to have the conversations with people. I thought it was unnecessary. Um, it wasn't their business, but I wasn't ashamed of it. In this, in this, if you're talking about consensual non-monogamy, right? Well, and right? I'm, I'm getting to this point. Um, so we're trying to figure out where we go now. We've mm-hmm. got to support ourselves. And you get a phone call or two from some very close friends, supporters of us, even though that they knew they knew about our affair, they knew what had happened, but they were members at uh, my original gym. Yeah, and uh, they wanted to know, hey, are you guys ever going to start your own yeah. gym together? That was an encouraging thing for us to hear from some of the people that were members and friends from our old gym asking us to start one. So we went about that process yeah. of getting that started. Right. But we knew that it would be problematic if you started a gym or I started a gym and people were talking about us being swingers. Yeah. So we started trying to make sure we kept that part private. Right. Right. Um, Yeah. I think that goes along with the fact that I knew everyone was talking anyways. It was something that I could just put out of my head. And, you know, we decided to open a gym. I have something to focus on now. I'm going to power through. I'm going to do what I need to do to get this gym open, to get get members coming in, to get our bills paid, to make sure my kids are doing okay. What I'm doing in my sex life is nobody's business. If they're going to talk about it, they're going to talk about it. (laughs) That just wasn't a concern of mine. Yeah. And part of our thinking was that, all right, you know, as long as we keep this completely private and nobody ever finds right. out again, they'll forget about that one time people may have found out right. they're swingers and assume we've moved on. Right, it. right. And so that's what happens. The gym yeah. starts to grow. You do a great job as a gym owner. <laughs> and and so we put that part of our life, not out of our life, but very much on the back burner. Yeah. Because you had to build this business up. We had to pay our bills. Yeah. That took a backseat to re- rebuilding our right. life. Yeah. Not that we weren't still having the conversations and talking about it because we still talked about it very openly and maybe once or twice a year would get to get away to go to an event or something like that. Right. And it was, it was a big deal because it was so rare. So the gym starts to grow over a two or three, three year period or so there. And then COVID hits. Yeah. COVID uh, was a, had a big impact on the rest of our story Yeah, because it gets, if it wasn't crazy yet, the story gets really crazy yeah. from this point forward. Yeah. We had, after you bought your or opened your gym, had the opportunity to buy a second gym mm-hmm. at about a town 30 minutes away. And so we decided you would run the one we had you had opened right. in our hometown, and then I would run this new one. Right. And that had been going for two or three years. Both gyms were doing well. COVID hits, and all of a sudden we've got to shut them both down. Yeah. In that two-month period that we shut down we get to work together again mm-hmm. because now we're working from home yeah. together. We had been missing. Which, by the way, if you enjoyed being home during COVID because you were doing house projects and planting gardens and repainting your house, we did none of that. <laughs> we were working 24-7. I mean, it was exhausting. But we loved it. But we did love it. Instead of working in separate towns, running separate gyms, yeah. now we're working together. Yeah. And at least we're sitting on the couch next to each other. Right. Working. Uh, the end of that cor- that two-month quarantine period, we realized we were about to get to back to open back up. And we both seemed 
not super happy about yeah. it. Do you remember that period? Yeah. I know. Why I was were dreading we not, it. Why yeah, were we not when happy? the governor said we you can reopen like a week from today, I didn't want to say anything, but I was like, oh God, I don't want to do this without you anymore. We had, I, I mean, that was our goal was always to work together because we work so well together. Um, you are good at things that I'm not good at and vice versa. You came to me one morning at like, I don't know, maybe six in the morning, you woke me up, which is never a good thing to do to your spouse. You wake them up with tears in your eyes and say, we have to talk. <laughs> yeah, I should have thought that a better. <laughs> like, is he leaving me? And you said you wanted to sell your gym. Um, and I was like, yes, let's do it because, uh, that would put us both working together again. And so, um, we went through the process of selling that other gym, your business partner and one of your coaches ended up um, buying it. Now we had to figure out a way to pull two incomes from the one gym. Yeah. And so you came up with the idea of Naughty Gym, which we had learned to, coach people online during COVID and to program for people online and how to deliver it effectively and do Zoom calls with clients. And, and so it just made sense. But you wanted to find a niche market. What is a demographic of people who want to be fit and want to look better naked? The non-monogamous community. <laughs> we really began this plan of, go, of trying to work together on the home, uh, the uh, gym that you had opened right? and then start learning or, or uh, building this new business online where we were going to be promoting online coaching for yeah. people. You know. uh, more importantly, and I want to say this is we didn't want to just deliver health and fit, fitness and nutrition coaching. We wanted to, we love CrossFit and we love the community aspect of it. And we wanted to create that that online as well, or that community where you could feel like you could be yourself, but you could connect with people. And it wasn't just fitness and nutrition, right? Right. And so we, we began the process of building that business and, and, and that platform. Mm -hmm. And um, that dramatically changed our life. Yeah. I don't think we anticipated yeah. how, how much it would change it. Uh, but one of the things that we were excited about was, uh-oh, we might get to be involved in more consensual non-monogamy events yeah. because we have this business now. Yeah, Talk about how that changed our dynamic in the lifestyle, how we went from what, what, it, what did our lifestyle look like prior to that decision? And then what has it looked like since? Prior to that, we would go to one, maybe two events a year. And we really didn't do anything, Adam, either, right? Not like, much. Because um, we didn't know anybody. And so afterwards, now we're being invited to come to these events as Naughty Gym. We're putting people through workouts in, you know, face-to-face. -face. And so we went from one, to, one or two small events a year to we were going to three, four, five, six big events every year and then smaller weekend events. Yeah. And then we met friends and we've made our best friends. And um, it, it's, I mean, it's been, our life is lifestyle now, right? That is who we are. That's our community. Those are our people that is um, just now woven into the fabric of our lives. That's true. And, and, but one of the big fears we had was 
we knew that we were going to do everything we could to hide this June yeah. business. We talked yeah. to tech savvy people and said, all right, well, how do we put a, a shield around this that insulates it from our commercial gym? Because we didn't want our commercial gym people to know about it. We didn't want our community to know about this business. Or our families. Or well, families. and when we started Naughty Gym, um, I made the decision that um, I was not going to show nudity. We weren't going to show nudity on any platform. Not and we that don't. there was anything wrong with not that. Not that there's anything wrong with that. Right. Um, but just because I have children and I wanted to be respectful of them. I'm not saying it's disrespectful. I have plenty of friends that have only fans and show nudity and their kids know that's great, but I know my children. So we didn't. And so I knew, we both knew that it was a possibility that we'd be outed someday. And so we had a lot of extensive conversations about what if this happens, then what? If this happens, then what? And so when we got outed, yeah, because the big well, the, before you talk about getting out of the big concern was if we get outed or no, when we get outed, right? Could we lose our commercial gym, our our foundation for our income? You know, right. could we lose it? How bad would the fallout? Be? Right. And I was less worried about that than you were. Yeah. I maybe should have been more worried about. Yeah, I think it. ultimately <laughs> I ended up being right on this one. <laughs> well, here's why I wasn't as concerned because when we opened our commercial business, our mission was to be an inclusive environment where people can get the tools that they need to be healthier. And we were public. About that. And by inclusive, I meant LGBTQ plus anybody, any religion, any race, any creed are welcome here. And we meant that. And we hosted LGBTQ events and we had transgender members and, and so I thought, you know what, if we get outed as swingers, nobody in our community is going to be going to care because why would they? It has, doesn't affect the service that we're delivering them. We're not talking about it openly. So it's not like we're not putting it in their face. Um, it's something that we do in our free time in privacy, you know, in our own bedrooms. And, um, and so I was really surprised by what happened by well, we yes because we pushed forward with the naughty gym concept because we believed that our commercial gym could survive right the exposure if it were to happen right when it happened yeah and and so we we did we probably kept it more or less hidden for i don't know a year yeah. or year and a half maybe something like that and then we were on a podcast mm -hmm. it wasn't the first podcast we had been on we right. had been on four or five before that yeah. And that pot, this one podcast, for whatever reason, got spread around our community like wildfire. We know why, but well, yeah, yeah. <laughs> like, like wildfire. And um, all of a sudden, it seemed like everybody in our town knew about it. And I know not everybody, but there is a big, yeah. if the, a lot of anybody that knows us, uh, just yeah. about all know about it now. Yeah. What was the fallout? So we lost close to 50% of our membership in the span of two months. At first, we didn't know why. We at like one week we lost like ten, and I'm like, "What is going on?" Like they were submitting their cancellations. There was a few that gave us the courtesy and the respect to sit down in our office and tell us what they had heard. Yeah, but it took a couple of weeks. We we couldn't figure out what was going on. It was spreading through the community. Right. We had an idea, but we weren't for sure because also at the time we were distracted because my parents were sick. Right. Yeah, I was about to get to that. Yeah. So I will say 
kudos to the members who loved us enough to sit down and talk with us because the the rumors that were going on were much worse than what was actual reality. <laughs> the rumors that were going around was that we were filming porn here and the gym and naked, um, naked, naked forcing people to work out naked and force I mean, just ridiculous stuff. And I'm like, look, you know, the service that I'm offering you is the same service that we offer our online members. It's just wrapped up in a cuter, sexier package. What I didn't understand was I am the same person sitting here as I am doing a session with one of my clients. I don't hit on them. I'm not being sexual with them. I'm not talking sexually with them. I'm not, I am professional. It just really baffled me at some of the, the, Small-mindedness, I guess. Well, it, so you, 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 you pro- we probably had two different groups leave. Right. Some people left because they didn't like what we were doing personally. They didn't like it. Right. Some people left because they didn't want the pressure of people right. saying, "Oh, you work out at that swinger gym." Right. And now, and that I could understand. Yeah. And I had sympathy for it because, uh, you know, we talked to a couple people who were like, "Look, I go to church, and people are asking me if I'm going to that swinger gym, and I don't want, you know, my husband or my wife to have any doubts." And I'm like, "I, I respect that. I, I respect that honesty more than anything." And we love those people still to this day. We still are in contact with a lot of them that were, that came to us and were honest with us. Um, we still talk to and um, love them. So it happened over the a summer. This is in the middle of COVID. Mm-hmm. And over that fall is when your parents both contracted COVID. Right. At the same time or within just a few days of each other. And now, on top of the fact that we have been publicly outed as mm-hmm. having not only just being consensual non-monogamous or swingers, we have a swinger business, um, and our business plummets. Yeah. And then both of your parents get sick, and this wasn't just a mild case of COVID. Right. Let's talk about that period, because that was uh, in a very difficult time. Yeah, we took that hit. And then I spent the next three months with my parents in the hospital fighting COVID away from the gym, essentially. But I couldn't even, you know, you can't process. I was in kind of that fight or flight mode because my mother got sick in at the end of August. Um, my stepdad was sick at the time, but we didn't know how bad. And so she was in the hospital, went into the hospital August 26th. He went into the hospital September 2nd, um, and they both never left the hospital. Yeah. So, and it was a fight with the hospital too, because we couldn't see them. They were alone and they were scared. And that was just an absolute horrific way. Just to set the, paint the proper picture here. It's one thing if a parent, and it's dreadful if a parent goes through. Yeah. Because then the other parent, the other spouse, their spouse is not only having to take care of them and runs the risk of losing them, but they're they're having to take care of all the their family stuff, you know, right. pay all their bills, keep the house up and stuff. But when both of them are in the hospital, right. nobody's paying their bills. Right. Nobody's bringing in income. Nobody's taking care of their stuff. Right. And not only did you have to work on this process of grieving with them through this. But now you had to take over 
their family affairs right. because you were the only sibling here in town. Right. So everything is starting to fall apart in your life right. over this summer and fall. Yeah. And, <laughs> you know, the, looking during that process, there was no good. There was no silver lining to any of that. Climate. Right. Yeah. Looking back. And there was at times it felt like there was no end in sight. But looking back, I see a woman who powered through like a champion, something that would have tore down and ruined them, potentially for the rest <laughs> of their life. And we got very close to losing our commercial gym. Yeah, we did. We did. But we saved it. Yeah. And you got through this issue with your parents. They ultimately ended up passing away mm -hmm. within five days of each other. And I watched you have <laughs> I watched you sit by their bedside as they pulled the plug. Having just gone through all of this stuff yourself, now you're having to watch your parents die. Mm -hmm. You had to help make the decision to pull that plug. And um, I think you became an even stronger person on the other side of that uh, because I have never seen a person care more for people while caring less about what people thought about your life choices since then. Yeah. You've become this empowered, wonderful human being who tries to empower others and to spread this message of live life the way you want to live it. I feel like if somebody can go through something like that, and not treat people better, there's something wrong with them. <laughs> if you can't see the humanity, <laughs> I mean, it, it really blows my mind when I meet people that are just have no ability or self-awareness to see others. I feel like I see people um, better since I lost my parents, since going through that. And I love people harder because of everything that I've gone through. Especially people that accept us for who we are. Well, yeah. Right. I mean, I wish everybody could have people in their lives like we have. And that really, um, going through those maybe six months that summer and fall, we had people really rally around us who are in the lifestyle community and our really true friends that really and some that weren't in the life poured community. poured love into us. Yeah. That period of our life mm -hmm. has acted as a filter that has taught us yeah. who our true friends are yeah. and really has taught us how to filter our relationships with other people going forward. Absolutely. I wish it didn't take that for us, yeah, but yeah. it feels like it has because we have been flawlessly executing, uh, filtering our life out since then. Yeah. Since then yeah. you have rebuilt this gym. <laughs> it's back to basically where it was before. Yeah. Uh, we have grown naughty gym together and we've traveled the world going to events and getting yeah. to speak and, Tell me what, since we, since you've gotten on the other side of all of that heartache, what have you enjoyed the most about uh, the rebuilding of things from that fallout? Oh, that's a, what have I enjoyed the most? Being on the other side for sure. <laughs> <laughs> 
I don't know that I'm over it. It's, I think it's just something you kind of carry with you. Grief is a weird thing and it's so, it's different every day. Um, there's joy in it. There's anger in it. There's confusion in it. Um, it, I wasn't able to process my grief right away, as you know, because I just, as soon as my parents passed, um, I dove head first back into the gym and started rebuilding. Um, and so it took a while for me to realize that I wasn't giving myself space to grieve. I don't know that that process ever ends. It just evolves. But I think what I'm loving right now about this time in our life and I, is that, that I'm able to give myself more space um, to grieve and to process and to really um, be present with myself and my emotions and I feel like I really haven't had a lot of that kind of time in my life. And I really enjoy that. It, it feels empowering. Yeah. Well, it's inspirational to watch from, from the outside. I mean, I'm kind of inside, <laughs> but um, yeah, I mean, I, can, I look up to you as, you know, I, it, it's hard to imagine me ever going through anything worse than the period that you went through. And I know we went through it, but you know, it wasn't my parents, it was yours. And uh, it, it was just a brutally tough time that could have destroyed a relationship that may have not been on as solid foundation as ours. Yeah. Because uh, it was not easy getting through that. We had to navigate a lot. We came out the other side and we're better for it. But now looking forward, we seem to have stabilized our commercial gym from all of that fallout. And uh, Naughty Gym is growing. Yeah. And the, the community, the lifestyle community has embraced it, it seems like. Uh, and we're, we've been fortunate enough to get to go to a lot of these events. Do have you enjoyed that process of, because before COVID we were just in consensual non-monogamy. We just occasionally went to things. Yeah. Now we get to go to more, but we're also doing it under the banner of a business. Yeah. Has that changed your outlook on consensual non-monogamy? And no, I don't think it has. Cause I still don't, when we go to these events, I'm genuinely going to make authentic connections. I'm, and we're going as Naughty Gym a lot of times, but I don't look at it as work. Um, I look at it as helping people in on their journey. Um, and that is so fun to me to meet and to meet somebody who said, you know, we've got some good friends um, in Canada who said Naughty Gym changed our lives because we came out of COVID and we had put on weight and my health was poor and I lost 30 pounds and I have a new lease on life. And I'm like, oh my God, <laughs> if they only knew what dorks we were. like, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, It's so, amazing. Yeah, I love it. It's very interesting when, love we, it. when we go to an event and people come up and, and introduce themselves because they want to introduce themselves to the naughty gym people. Yeah. And I'm so awkward. I'm like, I don't know what to do with my hands. <laughs> <laughs> well, so we've been in this, we've been in the lifestyle now for roughly eight years. Would you say that overall that it has been a positive experience for you? Yeah, I would. With everything that's happened, I think it's still been a really positive experience for me. And it's not always been easy, especially after we started the business side, the Naughty Gym stuff. Uh, we realized that, you know, there's drama yeah, behind there the scenes uh, with, with some things. And, 
And uh, we got very close even to shutting Naughty Gym down yeah. early on because we accidentally and stepped into some drama we didn't know existed. And uh, But you sort of led through that, too. Yeah. You know, you, you kind of said, no, look, I, we're going to push through this and figure it out, just like we figured out how to yeah. salvage this gym. Well, and that mindset came, was developed <laughs> that nobody's going to dictate to me how I'm going to live my life. Nobody's going to dictate to me how I run my business. I'm not going to do it. I've done that before. I've played that role before where I let people tell me what to do and how to do it. I'm not doing that anymore. Um, and I'm thankful that you stand by my side when I said that. Yeah, I mean, sometimes you're mean about it, but you know. <laughs> what do you think is the biggest reason you, not us, but and I know it's us that do these things together, but what do you think is the biggest reason right now you've been successful in the sense that we were able to go through all of that turmoil and come out the other side better for it? What do you think is the biggest reason you've been successful? Because I love people. I think that's it. I have really good intuition too. <laughs> um, Would you say that I do? No. <laughs> it's okay. 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 <laughs> it's okay. Um, but I think that's it. I think people know when somebody's genuine. People know when somebody is putting on a front. We are genuine. We love people. And um, I think that is the best marketing we could have is being who we are and interacting with people in an authentic way. At this point in our life, all our family knows, mm -hmm. well, all of my family knows, um, your kids know, yeah. not all of your family knows. Right. Are you worried about everybody else eventually finding out? I'm not, um, you know, my parents passed, so that would have been a concern. Um, my kids know my kids are loved. My kids love me. I have a great relationship with all of my kids. Um, anybody else that finds out that's, I'm, I'm happy to answer any questions, but this is my life. That's a perfect segue <laughs> into what do you want? If somebody were to see this. Yeah that had heard about you maybe. And, yeah. Um, and they think what most of us probably think, if we don't know anything about the lifestyle or consensual nominal, right. you're just trying to have sex. Why are you so weird? You're, you're <laughs> freaks, you know, be normal. Right. What do you want people to know? What I am normal. <laughs> <laughs> well, you're not normal. At all. Uh, but what would you like to tell people that would, would question your choice to be involved in this type of lifestyle? What do you get out of it? How do you make them understand why you're involved? Oh, I don't know that you can make people understand um, unless they have a willingness to understand. I'm happy to answer any questions. I know that my family who knows me and loves me already knows that I'm the happiest I've ever been in my life. They may not know the backstory to why I'm the happiest I've ever been in my life, but they know that. And so I would be happy to answer any questions. Um, I feel freer than I've ever felt in my life. I feel more empowered than I've ever felt in my life. I don't think I have to, I don't know, explain it to them. 
I mean, if they want to know, I'll tell them. I don't know that they'll understand. Yeah. Early on, you were very private about everything that we do. Yeah. For good reason. You're trying to protect the business, trying to protect the kids. Right. We get outed. And over that period, you have become much more outspoken. Yeah. And much less concerned about what people think about you. Yeah. Are you happy that we were outed? I am. Yeah. I think getting outed was a good thing. Number one, because I, and this is may sound like a sales pitch. I think Naughty Jim is fucking amazing. I think the service that we give people and the community that we provide people is a much needed thing. Um, it excites me to see our members engaging and making progress and having deeper, more authentic relationships and connections with their spouses and other people in the lifestyle. So if somebody asks me about it, it excites me to tell them about it. Like, I think it's the coolest fucking thing ever. (laughs) Well, good. Well, so where, what, what do you hope we're it's growing? Yeah. I want other people to feel the freedom that we feel in our relationship, in our life. Um, and I mean, there's so many people in our area, so many people that reach out to us. I mean, not daily, but weekly for sure. We get messages from people that are either have a non-monogamous relationship or they're in their partner and them are talking about it. Um, yes. A shock. Sometimes it's shocking the people that are messaging. Um, and it feels good to be able to help yeah, and, or to be a conduit for people who would, because we knew what it was like to not be able to talk about this. Yeah. Stuff. It feels good to be a safe space yeah. for them. Um, and so we're going to have a local little meet and greet here coming up. Yeah, we, we, we do our own trips now where yeah. we bring people together. What is your hope for this? What is the, if there was, if there's any big hope for the future, what would you love to see for your life? from a business perspective in the lifestyle going forward? I would love um, to do Naughty Gym full-time, you know, to be able to go to these events and meet people and help people on their health and fitness journey, on their non-monogamous journey. That's what I love. We did at Hito, and we're going to actually do a little plug at Be Better at Being Bad in January 6th through the 13th at Hedonism Resort. We did mimosas with April and shots with Scott. At Hito, we did that for the newbies. And so we had probably 10 girls and 10 guys. Yeah, this maybe. wasn't our event. This was another, this was a, another we were, event at Hito. We but we're going to do this at Be Better at Being Bad again. And the women all just came in and sat down and we just started openly talking. What are we scared of? What are our vul- vulnerabilities? What are our biggest fears and insecurities? And what happens when you start talking, even with strangers, is a bond forms with all of these women. And now we're friends and we're safety nets. And so, and the same thing happened with the men. And so now you go out onto the resort and you're going about your day and you're sitting at the pool and maybe you're feeling a little uncomfortable or a little way, but now you can look across the pool and you've got a friend and you've got someone you can connect with. And I saw these women connecting all week long and 
pairing up together because now they had somebody that they were friends with and it made them feel safer and more secure. Um, and it was just a really beautiful thing. And I'm like, that's what I want to do. I love, we both do. We love bringing people together. Um, we, I mean, we've been doing that long before we were in, um, we had Naughty Gym. We were doing that in our commercial gym. We were doing events and trips and stuff like that because we love to see a group of people together that we brought together having a great time. Yeah. Yeah. Our tagline for Naughty Gym is never stop playing. It's and- on your shirt. Um, uh, and it, it, it is something that we actively try to promote and try to show people life should be fun. You should be living life open and free and, and, and exploring everything it has to offer because again, you're only getting one shot at this life. And, and, uh, it has been, uh, (laughs) (laughs) it's been my privilege to share this journey with you, even though we got it started in a way where, you know, yeah. that maybe wasn't great, but to, but to, to be a part of this journey with you this late in life, um, it's been, it's not that late in life <laughs> well, a little later for me than it is you, but, uh, yeah, to watch you navigate, uh, this in a way that I don't think most people could do to be quite honest, uh, has been inspirational to me. And, uh, I'm just proud to be your husband and partner mm. and, and uh, love you. People, people are lucky that they get to know you. So, oh, thanks. All right. So that's <laughs> enough about April. In our next episode, <laughs> we will talk about what everybody wants to hear about, and that's me and pickleball. And- <laughs> <laughs> well, that's the first podcast episode, and uh, <laughs> we'll do another one soon. We hope. So, yeah. talk thanks. to you soon. All right. Thanks for listening, guys. Bye, guys. Bye.